welcome to the Words Matter podcast, a podcast of First Baptist Church Seminole. All right, welcome to the uh, Words Matter podcast, a podcast here of FBC Seminole. We're glad to be back with you. Look at us. We're two weeks in a row here, Garrett. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm sure you... one last week? Yeah. Well, the week before week last. week before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been just under two weeks. Matter of fact, we're doing this one early, recorded on Thursday. Garrett's got to be beside himself right now. That we're back in this uh, podcast booth together. Uh, if if you'd have heard the conversation right before I hit record, uh, I was <laughs> I was admitting to being a wrestling fan in the late '80s, early '90s, and I was qualify wrestling, and I was being harassed. Qualify what you mean by professional? Well, that's the only wrestling worth talking about. Oh, mm. you just offended an entire country of people. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. OSU fans, come well, OSU me. fans, uh, come Russia. <laughs> what about Russia? Like that's a huge deal. But it's not even real. Real wrestling it's is not real. real. No, it but is. But in Russia, it is. Don't say no, but it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> See, this it's is choreographed, if that's yeah. what you mean by real. Yes, yes. Yeah. It is. They are trained athletes, is what they are. They are, at best, B-movie actors. I haven't watched wrestling in, like, <laughs> 20 years. Um, but I was at the height of it. I uh, I was all in on it. It was a blast. I mean, I I'm, I was out at the I mean at the age of like ten with Jake the Snake and Sergeant Slaughter, Sergeant Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was out. But with, I was ten. I was out with fake because I've always been opposed to fake things. All right, <laughs> that right there is going to lead us into our question of the week. What is a surprising fact about you that most people may not know? Give our listeners a glimpse into each one of us. Uh, I'll go ahead and start, give you guys time to think of yours. And I shared this with Garrett a while ago. So when I was in college, um, I designed a billboard that actually hung um, on the side of I-40 for uh, a while. Uh, part of my advertising public relations class, we did a uh, billboard design for the Maybe Gurr Museum of Art. And I got to design a billboard that hung up there um, for quite a while. I was uh, pretty proud of that. And it was pretty, pretty cool to see your, your work out on display. And I remember that. Yeah. I remember seeing that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I, did, I made two And designs. I think they had another one, like, right by the, the by St., uh, not St. Crispin's, but right Saint by St. Gregory's. Uh, Gregory's. So the billboard, I designed two, and one of them said, when was the last time you visited your mummy? And had a big sarcophagus <laughs> on it. And they ran that in, in the papers in Shawnee, but they didn't run it in on print on a billboard. So I had a billboard that hung up. I'm really my... looking forward to whatever Nick's about to spew out of his I know, mouth. He's, no, he's, no, no. He is it, laughing it, so hard. It has nothing to do with my thing. It has everything. I But I can't. I can't. Okay. I can't go there. Why? I cannot. You'll, we'll talk about it after the show. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll take a <laughs> after break after and yeah. uh, see what he is uh, stewing about over here. Uh, my uh, Something you may not know about me. An interesting fact is that I learned to walk at six months old. I was walking at six months. Wow. And uh, my mom used to tell people that I was walking at six months. They wouldn't believe her. And then they would see me, and I was walking. And they were like, you weren't kidding. He really is walking at six months of age. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. put this out there. The, you telling that story sounded like Dwight Schrute. <laughs> <laughs> Did it not? <laughs> That's I was, fine, but I was walking I was shucking place. beats it. So I have two kids, and I, I, I mean, I re, I remember them walking. Yeah, I don't remember, but when, I don't remember like how impressive that is. I don't either. Is that what's the normal age for walking? I was the only one of my twenty six cousins to learn to walk at six months of age. <laughs> there we go. Uh, 
There it is. There it is. <laughs> There's the shrewd. There's the shrewd. Oh, my goodness. All right, Garrett, what do you got? I don't, man, I don't have much. I, I don't know. I'm a pretty open book. Unremarkable. So there's no, I'm unremarkable. <laughs> Perfect, as some doctors might say. Perfect in every um, way. I got, to, I got to meet uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, back in mid-90s. Mid the star of Airplane? You got to meet yeah. him? <laughs> yeah. We were, uh, he came to Pakistan, and uh, he was doing some sort of basketball camp. But he came to Karachi International School, and by meeting, I mean, I was on the basketball court with him, and I got, I was the guy that they convinced to ask him if he'd play like around the ball with us, would you, would you? And I said, "Hey, you know, will you will you play? So will you play some basketball with us?" And he was like, "Not today, kid," and then walked off. <laughs> oh, but he did talk to me. So mm-hmm. there you go, he, big time. Not he today, threw kid. words my way. Not uh, today. So he still owes you a game of basketball. Is what you're saying? But he, yeah, he didn't say no. Yeah, just he said just not said today. not today. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a complete rejection, right? Well, there you go. I didn't know that about either one of you. So. Yeah. All right, that's been our, our question of the podcast, and the question of the week, question of the month, question of the podcast this week. And uh, so we had a, a great Sunday yesterday services here, and we're going to jump in a little bit. Uh, uh, matter of fact, none of us in the room preached yesterday. No. Who, uh, who, who preached yesterday? Scott Robison, our Celebrate Recovery Director, and uh, one of our elders here, and uh, preached Joshua 7. He did. Joshua 7, which is, uh, I would have loved to have preached out of Joshua 7, uh, I think it's a just an in, incredible. Uh, I mean, there's it's 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 heavily packed. If you don't know, um, if you weren't here or you don't know, Joshua seven is on the heels of Joshua six. Well, Joshua six was obviously, <laughs> but Joshua six was a victorious story of God's people going into Jericho, and just uh, the Lord's tremendous victory in Jericho, where the Lord just took care of everything, um, laid out a very strict. Uh, game plan, if you will, for how they were going to see victory in in Jericho, and all of it fell just as the Lord said it would fall. And then uh, at the end of that victory, though, there was uh, part of the covenant victory, or the victory covenant, was that the treasury of the spoils of war from Jericho, were they all belonged to the Lord. And the Lord said that all the treasures and all the spoils were to be put into the Lord's treasury. But Achan, he took some for himself. And uh, his, his, his uh, omission or you know, Com- co- confession it. in Joshua 7 was that he gazed upon the treasures. He saw how beautiful they were. Mm-hmm. He longed for them himself, and he took for himself of the Lord's treasury and hid it in his tent, and he and his family knew about it. So chapter 7 is about them going into AI, and they lose, and they lose big time. And uh, the reason they lost is because of their disobedience of one family, one man um, within the Israelite company. And so they lose, and so they have to come before the Lord before Joshua, uh, tribe by tribe, family by family, until they find out who took from the from the Lord, and it's Achan, and then Achan and his family end up being stoned and burned, and uh, memorial stones placed on top of them that are very different from the memorial stones mm-hmm. 
earlier in Joshua when they crossed the Jordan, these memorial stones are memorial stones of disobedience. And I thought Scott did a phenomenal job of, of taking an entire chapter and bringing out great exegesis of uh, great interpretation um, and just highlighting the personal conviction that should rest on us when we read Joshua chapter 7. So Yeah, he, he did a great job. I, and I, I was looking at this when I, I got his notes to get slides and stuff ready. I was like, man, there's so much scripture here. We're going to be here for four hours trying to break this down verse by verse. But he did such a great job of tying a bow around this entire passage and, and tying it to personal sin and corporate sin and then even bringing it back to the memorial stones that you had preached on. As a matter of fact, pointing out the memorial stones that we have in our sanctuary as a, an image, um, an illustration that you did with our children when you preached that sermon of them crossing the Jordan and, and pointed those out and talked about the differences of those memorial stones. And um, it is, it's, a, it's a brutal story when you, when you read it and you step back and you look at it. And um, One of the things that stood out to me was one thing that he talked about was in verse 19 where he said, when Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make confession to him. I urge you to tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. And he talks about how confession can bring glory to God in the end of the day, that, mm-hmm. that it was it was about making restitution to Joshua, to the people, and to God. And the consequences, I mean... Yeah, even, if, even if the consequences remain, the right. confession is still exactly. to the Lord's glory. Yeah, there yeah. still was going to be consequences. And yeah. we talked about sin having consequences just a few moments ago. Um, I mean, what he took was a, a cloak, five pounds of silver, and a bar of gold weighing a pound, um, a pound and a quarter, and that, that's all he took. But that led to the death of, was it 26, 27 men mm-hmm. that, that went in? I mean, his, his sin led to the death mm-hmm. of, and so 26 families lost the head of their household. They lost sons. They lost fathers yeah. they, because of his personal sin. And so the consequences for his actions are the consequences of somebody else because of that sin. I mean, echo. And I thought it was a great job the way he put that together. Yeah, uh, one man, one family's sin was a stain on the entire house of Israel. Yeah. Uh, and there was, it's interesting because maybe I'm jumping ahead here. Maybe we're going to talk about this in a minute. But if you think about the New Testament church, we don't we don't like to make a lot of analogies out of the Old Testament for the New Testament church. But there are a lot to, to right. draw from there. Uh, and, and one of those is that the family of God in the Old Testament and the family of God in the New Testament, the house of the Lord in the Old Testament, and the church of the risen Savior Jesus Christ in the New Testament, um, we are to be a people of obedience. Mm. And sin still stains and marks and uh, thwarts not the Lord's plans, but it thwarts um, the blessing uh, on God's house. And so... uh, you know, that's why when you get into Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy and he's pastoring at Ephesus and there's these disruption, there's these sinful people in the church. And the sin of those people in the church, whether it's the widows um, or whether it's the, 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 uh, the false teachers uh, and the blasphemers, that sin is causing a major disruption in the church in Ephesus. And mm-hmm. until those sins are dealt with, those people are dealt with and those sins are dealt with... Um, Paul says, Timothy, until you deal with this, this house is not going to be in order. This house has to be in order. So those same principles apply in the New Testament to the New Testament believers when it comes to the church that applied to God's house in Israel. And so that stain was on the entire family because there were people within the company that were disobedient. 
Yeah, and that was that was felt through through all of them. I mean, you see that the the way that affects not just Aiken, not just his family, but everybody else around them. That mm-hmm. that corporate um, pain, and, and I mean, you see that in churches today. If if something happens to one person and it's a major sin, it may not be. Uh, I'm not talking about secret sins. I'm it, those when they come to light can can cause damage, but it doesn't just hurt the person; it hurts the body itself. Mm-hmm. And the way that that goes, like you said, we don't like to talk about that, you know. Yeah, the implication that our uh, and this is this is going to be a what what do you, what's that Stephen Crowder stuff he talks about where it's like challenge me or whatever, change my mind, change my mind, mind. or whatever, you know, just uh, provocative thoughts. Uh, d- does the church today see? Uh, our gospel gains and our gospel losses. Um, let me just put it this way: our gospel losses in the church a direct reflection on sins that the church is not willing to deal with. Mm. You know, I kept thinking as we were reading, like, what in the world made Aiken think that he wasn't going to get caught? Mm-hmm. Like, this was a specific decree before this battle that you can't take anything, and he did it and thought he could hide it. I mean, he, I mean, he's seen God's hand at work. I mean, mm-hmm. he knows, he knows <laughs> the power yeah. of God, so why did he think that he wasn't going to get caught? And then I thought, well, isn't that kind of the story of, I mean, the whole Bible has mm-hmm. these stories. Well, yeah. what, made, David. what made David think mm-hmm. that he wasn't going to get caught in his sin? And then the, the application that we don't want to do, but who, what makes me think that my sin isn't going to be uncovered? Or whether it gets uncovered or not, like you're saying, what makes me think that my sin isn't going to affect the body mm-hmm. or affect uh, the spread of the gospel? and The ministry of the church, yeah. It would, it's crazy that I would think that I could sin and yeah. God wouldn't deal with it. Yeah, did uh, I? I kind of see this almost as a sitcom, possibly at night. Where what did Aiken think that they were going to finally settle in the land, and all of a sudden he's rich and he's going to be right. like, "No, I was rich before we started." Oh, this. I've had this. Right. Yeah, I've had this I brought cloak this for yeah, years. They were, they were tucked away in my sandals. Yeah, yeah. we were walking to the. the, we were walking <laughs> my to the dad desert. gave you me weren't these. rich before Aiken. We we had these with us the whole yeah. time. Yeah, I found it. I found my land this way. Well, and that's what. And I don't know the the time span on this, and the time they went into you know to Jericho and they captured this, the time he buried it to to when this attack took place because they sent spies out and they came back and reported and then they made the attack. So the the guilt of that, like I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure there had to be. And that's, he buried it, so he was shamed. He was ashamed mm-hmm. of it. He didn't like put it on display. I mean, he knew it was wrong, mm-hmm. and he said on that. And then to hear about these spies going out and then coming back and making the report and then going to war and then these guys dying. And then coming back, does he think that ties in with him at all? Well, do you th- you think that he really thought about it until they lost the battle, and then he went, "Oh no, oh when you, no." When you think about the process of sinning, okay, <laughs> the process of sinning always starts with an impulse, an indulgence, or an impulse. But it, we are impulsive people, and that's where sin comes from—impulses. And so he sets his eyes on the treasure, and his impulse. Is to that that looks pleasurable. That look, I'll think of all I could do with those resources. Then it goes from an impulse to it's then it's physical. Then you have to actually do something. It's flesh acting out. He has to take it. He has to put it on his person. Mm-hmm. 
Then he has to carry it around. Now he's in the company of the Israelites in disobedience, having given into his impulses and carried it around until they get back to camp, which was not close. Right. So he's he's journeying with this, and he's getting farther and farther away from where the treasure is supposed to be. And the farther he gets away from where the treasure is supposed to be, he's 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 getting more and more locked into his decision. Mm. And uh, and then he has to physically dig a hole in his own tent. And so you got to think that as you're as you're taking those steps, something is going on in your heart. And, and we all know this because this is how we sin. In our heart, in our mind, the one thing that is going over and over is Satan's voice saying, "You deserve it. Mm. It's okay. There's no consequence. This won't hurt anyone. This, yeah, this is just you know you won't be found out." I I so appreciate it, and I can't remember if it was a quote that he had or if this was just something that Scott tied in. I can't remember, but when he compared the sin of Achan to Adam and Eve's sin, mm-hmm. that's great. And yeah. I went. I love it how oh, script, is, yeah. it's the same thing mm-hmm. because she saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and she took it. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing that Achan did. Was yeah. he saw it was good, and he acted on it. Scripture I, illustrates il, Scripture illustrates Scripture so well. And I'm I'm reading this book right now in a student discipleship group, and Kyle Eidelman, um, God's at War, mm-hmm. and his basically his proposal in this entire book is that every sin is a form of idolatry, that mm-hmm. it breaks down from that. Mm-hmm. So Achan made right. this an idol and took God off the throne of his life and placed these things that he wanted. And like you said, and then he had to, he had to actively choose that and then continue to choose that step after step and then continue to bury it. I mean, mm-hmm. he had to, to, to consciously choose that to a point that it was almost you couldn't come back from. And there's that moment when you sin and you're having to decide, who, who could I trust with this information? Mm. Isn't it interesting that when you're when you're hiding sin, there's somebody you want to tell. Yeah, you, you, th- th- that there there is something within you that there's somebody you want to tell when you're hiding in sin, and it's not always because you want to be free from the sin. Sometimes it's just because you want to see you want justification for it. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's somebody I could tell this kind of sin to, and they'll justify my actions. Um, but really, I think the soul is fighting for you to tell somebody that will be a Nathan to you. Mm. They will say, you're wrong. You, you've got to make this right. You've got to confess this. I, I, I find the whole situation with Achan interesting because if you go back to Joshua chapter 1, at the end of Joshua chapter 1, when he goes before the people, he tells them the Lord is with them. They, they make agree. an oath to Joshua yep. that they will... As they obeyed Moses, obey everything he tells them. Achan broke that oath. It's not. It wasn't just an oath with the Lord. It was also an oath with Joshua that we're we're gonna we're here we're here for you. We're gonna fight with you. We're gonna walk with you. We're gonna obey you because you come in the name of the Lord for us and for His glory. And I think it's interesting because when you, I, I always try to look forward to the New Testament church with everything that I'm mm-hmm. wrestling with, and. We do that in the New Testament church. We make a type of oath with one another. When we join a church, when we uh, come to faith in Christ, assemble, join a church, and, and get plugged into those ministries and take different responsibilities, we're making an oath with the New Testament church that we are gospel-minded, 
repentant people. And oftentimes we still see that mark in the church that we saw with Achan in that we're breaking our oath with the Lord and we're breaking our oath with one another. Hmm. And, I mean, that plays out. And, and this is how my mind works as I read this story, especially when Scott said that, that he calls the entire tribe of Israel, all the tribes of Israel together yeah. and start casting lots to figure out who this rests on, who this falls on. And they're going through that. So Achan had to be standing there the entire time, sweating bullets. His mm-hmm. kids, who may have known this secret and tried to convince him, that, Dad, you've got to give this back. Dad, this is wrong. And we don't know if they did that or not, but they knew what was going on. I mean, what if the blame would have fallen with somebody else to test him? Would he have spoke up at that point or would he let somebody else take the, the death blow for his, his, you know, his discretion? And so he, they line the tribes up and then they cast lots and they get to the tribe of Judah. And then the clans of Judah come forward and the Zephonite clan is the one who's selected. And the Zephonite clans come forward and the heads of the families come up. And then Zabdi was selected. And then when Zabdi's family comes forward um, man by man, then it's Achan, of Camry, son of Zabdi, son of Zekah, of the tribe of Judah, was selected. Mm-hmm. That entire time, this entire tribe of Israel is standing out there watching this. And the closer it gets to him, the more he's got to be sweating bullets. And I feel like his confession was was one that he was called to do, but I figure this was just like tearful, snot, just, I'm so sorry, you know, as he's had to just feel that tension inside of him that he yeah. knows he's getting closer and closer to getting caught. Uh, and then if somebody else says, does he remain silent? Does he say, I dodged that bullet, I'm, I'm good? Or does, you know, like that, just how that plays out. Yeah. You know, the other thing that hidden sin or our attempt to hide sin does is it keeps us from God's people. So if you're hiding a treasure that belongs to the Lord that you were commanded not to take, if you're hiding that in your tent, you're probably not inviting people into your tent. Mm. You know, and when we hide sin... And we are wrestling with that, and our soul is dealing with that, and we are sweating, or we are worried about who might, who might find out about this sin. We are far less likely to engage with holiness and with holy people and with holy fellowship because we're afraid we'll be found out. Mm. Yeah, that just had to eat, eat away at him that entire mm-hmm. time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. And th- what resonates with me about this is something that we deal with with the landing a, a lot is through... The punishment process, his children are killed. Yeah. was His children weren't there when he took it. His children weren't there when the decision was made. And, I mean, there was, there was, there was sin, and it had to be paid for, and it was paid for with the, with the extreme here, but it had to be done. And they were, for all intents and purposes, innocent bystanders here. Like, they, that sometimes the effect of other people's sins, the situation that you have no control over, have major consequences on your life. And sometimes you can't do anything about that, unfortunately. Yeah, I've had a hot take for a lot of years about that very thing that people don't always agree with. Um, I stand pretty firm on it, and that is uh, we're all called to— all three of us sitting here at this table are called to ministry. And um, if if I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and serving in a local church, and I commit a sin— a sin that uh, disqualifies me from ministry, um, that will and should impact my family mm. also. And a lot of times in the church, what we do is we say, well, it's not fair for—let's say it's a moral failure. We say, well, it's not fair for the wife, and it's not fair for the kids, 
So we have to have a certain level of compassion. And sometimes that certain level of compassion, I, I promise you, I understand this is a very provocative thought that I'm giving right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I admit that. But sometimes that level of compassion is not in line with the consequence of sin. Mm. When you are in gospel ministry and you are called to a standard of holiness and you break that bond with your family and you break that bond with the church, the consequences impact your entire family. Mm. And that is something that you then have to work and reconcile between you and your family, but it's not the church's fault when they take the right action. Mm. Uh and, and, I, and I get frustrated with churches that say, well, out of love, we need to do this or we need to do that. And almost like we're dismissing the reality of the sin uh, that happened here uh, for the sake of not hurting somebody else's feelings. Hmm. And all the while, we have to remember that um, there, is no great, there, is, there is no more significant or important uh, organization, if you want to call it that. Sometimes that word's kind of stiff. Um, Fellowship or group of people on the planet that deserve more uh, correction when correction is needed. Um, I'm trying to be kind with my... I'm trying to be very (laughs) sensitive to what I'm saying here. Uh, The church is to be treated different than the way the world treats organizations. Right, right. And there's a standard there, mm-hmm. and we can't apologize for the standard that we have to set. Right. So. Well, and, and, you know, even we think about this, He, I mean, his friends lost a friend that day. Yep. I mean, I'm sure he had a job that he didn't go to, obviously, <clears throat> as a result of this. And, and so the, it, this was felt by everybody in this tribe. This mm-hmm. was felt like by, by everybody in this, in this nation to see that. And so those stones were a reminder of that, but it was also like, Man, I didn't know that was within him. I didn't yeah. know he had that. Like, I, my tent's been sitting next to him this entire time. He was such a good guy. I didn't think yeah. that he was ever going to be a guy that would basically lead to the death of 26 other people because he chose to take something that wasn't his yeah. after they were commanded not to. Which is probably a really good segue into a conversation that a lot of people, uh, a lot of ministers I know have been talking about for a couple of weeks, and that if the standard for the church and the ministers of the church is uh, to be above reproach, then that means that we have to constantly have people in our lives and put ourselves in check when we cross the line anywhere. Mm. And one of the things that I very much appreciate, and I don't know, I don't have any insider information about the Matt Chandler situation, but I do know this. From what I can read, and even from what Matt Chandler himself, who was very open about it, said to his church, it seems like what he did and what the elders of that church did and what the church has agreed in, in likeness to is to take that model of above reproach and put it on display. It doesn't seem uh, like what Matt Chandler did um, is what we're used to hearing about when we read about uh, you know, unfaithfulness or moral failures. It it, it's almost like they probably could have got away with not doing anything about this. Right. Um, In fact, there's a good possibility yeah. that when this all shakes out, that there's going to be a world that says that was over the top. Right. Yeah. Right. We're well, already seeing that. You're, right. There's there was a uh, a TikTok. I I'm using air quotes. <laughs> pastor um, here in Oklahoma that called Matt Chandler's church yeah. out, and they said that either. Um, 
I'm trying to think what it was. Either he violated some major sexual sin. Worse than what? Worse than what they're saying. We know. Or they're living by an outdated Billy Graham rule that says mm-hmm. he's not allowed to have a car. And so there's 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 no middle line with mm-hmm. these people on the outside. They're saying, hey, it's either this terrible sexual sin that we're waiting on the details to drop so we can point fingers and laugh and say, see, this is another reason why I don't go to church. Or that it's not that big of a deal, and they're just airing this out there just to make themselves look better You're than everybody else. You're a pharisaical fuddy-duddy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. no middle ground on that at all. Yeah. It could be that they take the above reproach super serious. Right. So, yeah. Which sometimes I think won't make sense in the same way that this— I mean, the story doesn't make sense from the perspective that you said. From us looking at it going, there's a whole lot of innocent people who have suffered— because of one man's indiscretion. And um, it may not make sense to us from a worldly perspective, but um, if, we, if we go to the Isaiah 6 and the understanding of the holiness of God and how uh, serious the people of God have to be about that holiness, then it starts to make a lot more sense mm-hmm. that he's called us to and in Deuteronomy, um, I'm get the New Testament. But I think it's First Peter, be holy as I am holy, mm-hmm. which is impossible, mm-hmm. but yet the requirement. Mm-hmm. And and go, going back to the Matt Chandler situation, you had to know that when those elders and Matt Chandler got together and and they came to the decision that Matt Chandler needed to step away, he's the lead pastor there to step yeah. away. They had to have the conversation about this is going to impact. The, our people. This is going to oh, impact yeah. this congregation, but yet we still think this is the right thing to do. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly as you read this story, you see this too. That this was God said this is what needs to happen as a result, and they didn't. Yeah. They didn't go back to God and go, "Hey, can we do it this way instead?" Yeah. Hey, we don't. Can we do this in secret? Hey, can we? Can we just go return this to the treasury and call it good since he's confessed? It's like no, there, there was an action, and those are consequences. Sometimes the the. The consequences of sin are immediate, and sometimes it takes a while for them to, to happen um, as it's played out. So you hit on something earlier that I really I've been mulling on quite a bit. And so your question when we first started was, how does our sin, whether it's exposed or not, whether it, um, it comes to light or if it's mm-hmm. just an internal hidden sin, how does that affect uh, the spread of the gospel, our victory in gospel movement. And I've I've really been wondering that, like, how can a church do a self-examination and say, um, we're not reaching the lost, we're not seeing movement in a spiritually positive, not necessarily numerical things, but can they look and say, there's sin we have to deal with? In the same way that God told Joshua, there's sin in the camp and you have to deal with it. Mm to what level can a church do that, or should so, a church? Yeah. Do that? So, I I don't want to be, I don't want to be, um, I got I want to be careful that I don't say something about our church that is prideful, I, I, because I, I don't intend for these next few s- statements to be, you know, for us to think more of ourselves than we ought to, but I would argue that one of the reasons that that God has been so kind to our congregation over the last couple of years, and we've seen his kindness f- fold over month by month here. Uh, not, we're not perfect. I'm not saying that. Um, 
but we have seen a tremendous amount of the Lord's grace and the Lord's kindness in our church. And a lot of what it is is because we have dealt with sin that leads to division, and we have led with personal sin, uh, primarily through the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, but it has outflowed into all of our ministries. We have focused on repentance. That's not a strange word at First Baptist Seminole. Repentance is talked about all the time. Uh, lifting uh, or, you know, making much of Jesus, but also, um, you know, we don't uh, we don't exalt the word over the Lord, but it's his word, and it is primary in everything that we do, and it results in people having contrition and having uh, going through the process of dealing with sin in their own lives. And I think that us dealing with sin and us dealing with discord and us dealing with division over the last couple years uh, has produced. And again, I, I know that that's a, I know that that can be interpreted by a listener, and I mean it with, the, I mean it with all the humility because I am, I am completely humbled by what the Lord has done the last couple years, mm. and uh, in spite of a community that may not realize all that the Lord is doing at our church, mm-hmm. that may have an assumption about what's going on up here, and they're totally misinformed. We've, we've heard that. We've heard mm-hmm. what people think about what's going on up here, and they're completely misinformed. Um, but those of us that are a part of what's happening at First Baptist Church Seminole, all we can say is, thank you, Lord, you are so kind to us. Mm-hmm. And we don't deserve it. Right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's, you know, in, in the midst of a pandemic as well, as, as we're scratching our heads and trying to figure out what we're going to do, you know, we, we saw um, staff relationships, Terry and I, um, mm-hmm. come to a head and, and and be reconciled to one another and how God has blessed that ministry and and has taken me and Terry to where we were to put us where we are now. And I'm not sharing anything I shouldn't share. We tell the story quite a bit, and we're quite proud of the fact that we were able to reconcile because we knew there was there was strife between the two of us, and, and it was on both sides. It wasn't yeah. just one person or the other, and it was coming um, together and, and making amends and apologizing and, and repenting of those things to one another and how God used that relationship in a huge way to impact our community and our students. And it was like there was this breath of fresh air finally. The, the tension was gone. That, that, that albatross around the neck that we didn't know we were yeah. carrying was gone the moment we were able to reconcile some of that. And uh, it, I mean, it happened in my garage of all places, but it was a result of, of being in the word and being called to repentance and being called to, to look at our lives and seeing that if we're going to move forward as a church, we've got to figure these things out. And that self-examination led that conversation to Terry and I to be able to have that moment of... So, yeah. So is that the, is that the, I, I don't know that there's a formula, but is that, the, is that how we can kind of see the, the formula that a church examines that? Does it have to start with the individual? Um, but you could have one individual who's serious about it, but it's going to take a collective. I mean, the whole nation had to be a part of this, right. dealing with yeah. the sin. Yeah. Um, it wasn't even just Joshua, the leader, who mm-hmm. had to deal with the sin. It was the whole nation. And so how does a church identify? Um, is Are things not the way we would hope or want them to be because that's just what the Lord has planned for us right now? Or is it because we have sin? How does the church identify that? Is it through consistent preaching um, and calls to repentance and, and a push in that direction? 
does it start at a smaller level and, and build out? Yeah, I think and I don't know that I, I expect anybody to have the an answer. answer yeah, to that. the but answer is yes. I mean, I, yes. yeah, yes, I think so. I think it's all of the above. I think yeah. it starts with teaching and being consistent in trusting and relying on the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God to do the work of God. Um, but I think it's also uh, just continually. So one of the things I, I, I really like about being at First Baptist Church Seminole is uh, we don't really have any. Um, we're not dominated by any one person. There's no, we, we don't have a group of people where there's somebody in the group that's seeking uh, to be the alpha all the time. You know, it's, it, it, I don't know. There's not a lot of egos um, here right now. And we need to pray to keep it that way because mm-hmm. that could change really quick. But there's not a lot of egos. Uh, and I, I think that that's part of it too is there's there's not a need to be the most important so you can say you're the most important at First Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think to kind of answer your question a little bit, in in Joshua 7, it started with Joshua going before the Lord. Yeah. And that's where that started. Mm-hmm. And then he brought the elders in on that, and then they brought the nation together. And it was like, hey, we got to figure this out. Obviously, something is wrong here because this wasn't supposed to go down this way. And so I, th- I think it starts with, with your leadership going before the Lord and saying, hey, this is what we've got to look at. What, what do we need to fix? And God laying that out before them and saying, hey, this is, I don't think, I mean, obviously God didn't point the finger at Achan and say, hey, that's your man, go take care of it. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, you've you got a clean house, to clean house, you've got to bring the house together. Yeah. And you've got to figure this out. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. He could have done that. He could have said, "Hey, Josh, it was Aiken. Go get right. him." Go oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God could have just struck. And him I kind of like wondered that. why he didn't do that. Why didn't he just call Aiken out from the get go? But he made the whole church. He made the whole tribe go through that. Right. The whole tribe. The whole nation, tribe by tribe, go through that mess. Aiken was the only guilty one, but he couldn't right. have been the only one stressed out. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure everyone was thinking yeah. through. And maybe yeah. sometimes that self introspection from God is not a bad thing when. When the call is to hey, look at your life and see what sin it sin, sin you've got. It may not be an overarching thought in your mind all the time. Now, Aiken, I'm sure, instantly was like, "Oh no, it's that it's that gold and silver and mm-hmm. cloak that I took." But everybody else is going, "Okay, what in my life needs to be fixed?" Right, because what he didn't say of? somebody stole. Yeah, somebody's hiding, and that's why. He so said, "You had a whole group of people going. Was it that hatred I have for my right neighbor?" And 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 maybe this this was that. Call. I mean, they set up stones to be a reminder. This wasn't like a one time deal. Hey, we're going to sweep these ashes under the rug, no pun intended, and just move on. It was, we're going to set up stones and remind ourselves of of what this situation was. How many parents yeah. gathered up their kids and said, "What did you do?" Exactly. Yeah. Tell us now, yeah. so we know going into yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> walk into the tribe. Hey, it's going to be a lot worse. Did you take one of those lied. stones? This is your this is your opportunity to confess right yeah. now. When you were down at the river throwing rocks, which ones did you throw? <laughs> and one thing I, I love about this story is, one is it's just a, a well-written story, and the way Scott did it was great, and not to, to, to get too much into next week, is, I mean, the feeling at camp couldn't have been great. Yeah. I mean, they, they, his family is now dead. Every possession he had, his tent, his animals, everything is gone. They burnt everything. I mean, that, the weightiness of that is yours as a, as a group of people is going, Whew, all right, now we're back to square one. But the very first thing he says in, in, in mm-hmm. eight one, the yeah. Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Yeah. And so God offers that idea that, hey, you're going to be discouraged right now. You're going to be in a low place, Joshua. Like, that was not fun. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, God, God didn't say he was sorry he went through that, but that, that's what I think he offers him is like, hey, you're going to be discouraged, but take heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. 
we've got this. You've handled it the right way. And now we're going to move forward as God's people. And that's what we see as they go into AI after this. One of the beautiful things about our Lord and His grace is that uh, when we deal, when we are faithful to deal with our sin, His mercy encourages us instantly. Mm. Yeah. And He hands them the battle plan, so and they go. And it's new every mm-hmm. morning. It's yeah. always available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the big, the big take. I mean, it's what we've talked about the whole time. But I think, I think the church in general. We don't take sin seriously enough, and and I think we really don't take sin. Um, and I joke and I say, you know, my sins never. I never ran the risk of being on the Seminole producer, or in Jailbirds, right? I mean, none of my sins put me at risk of being exposed on that level. But those sins that I do have are just as damning. They're mm-hmm. just as problematic as the ones that would put me. Especially for the church. Uh, especially for the church. Yeah. Right. And we have to take all of those. We cannot look and say, we're better than these people, so we're okay. Mm-hmm. Or nobody will know about this, so it's okay. Yeah. We have to, we have to look at it through the lens of, of, of God's seeing our sin and going, oh, that's, that's a problem. That's a real issue. Well, and, and what Nick said earlier is you try to justify it and say, well, I, at least I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. At least my sin's not out in the open like this mm-hmm. person. And you try to justify your actions or say, well, at least it's not that sin. Or I'm going to rally against this sin, but I'm going to keep this one. Or you continue to be successful in other areas of your life, and so that justifies yep. your sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've talked multiple times about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Uh, Driscoll had hidden sin, but everywhere he went, it seemed like he was having a victory. Yeah. His book sales, his preaching, you know, his conferences, the church, you know. So you're carrying your sin up a hill, but eventually there's no more hill to climb. Yep. You know, eventually you're going to, it's, and then you're going to crash hard. Mm-hmm. So what a burden to carry sin up a, what appears to be a victorious hill. Mm-hmm. Or to carry it out of victory like you did out of Jericho. Yeah. I mean, God had just hands you the city yeah. out of nowhere through this miracle of marching around it. And to see this great victory, and your first thought is, now this is about me. And to really to take that victory away from God and make that about you in that instant by taking things you were told not to. God's victory over Jericho was to tear down the walls. Those walls came down. And sometimes we think that God's victories are only found in those ginormous walls coming down. Mm. But Achan's tent couldn't have been very big. Mm. And so God had that victory over what the world might see as a small tent, but that small tent that had to be burned down uh, played a big role in 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 Israel's the the, the whole family of right. Israel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Scott did a great job with this sermon. Yeah. I think this was a really great chapter um, in Joshua. This is this has been really. Interesting to go through book by book like this um, on Sunday mornings with our church, and I've I've taught through Joshua, but I've really taught more on Joshua than his conquests yeah. and some of the right. things that he faced. So it's really interesting to get in and read a lot of these stories. Yeah, I wonder how many times Joshua chapter one has been taught <laughs> compared to the rest of the ch- chapters in Joshua, or how many Hobby Lobby <laughs> signs have Joshua twenty four? Yeah. You know, twenty four. Yeah. We're, we're familiar with yeah. the Joshua one nines and the Joshua twenty fours, mm-hmm. but. When you get into the heart of the middle of the story, how to get there is through the trenches like this. 
uh, and they did it together. I nobody mean, has a coffee mug with Joshua 7 anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to no. be reminded of that. And yet they still set up a We should make ones. We should make one. <laughs> make a, a first official words matter. Oh, no, we're, words not talking, matter. we're not talking about those memorial stones. Yeah, we're right. talking about the other memorial <laughs> the stones. Other memorial <laughs> yeah, stones. Don't yeah. forget those. That's, that's, that's a good yeah. idea, actually. Yeah. Don't be one of those memorial stones. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the phrase that we put on those. All right, I want to thank you guys for joining us here on our Words Matter podcast. Uh, last time we started something where we talked about one thing we were thankful for, and I want to do I want to throw that out there again. So what's one thing in our church that you're thankful for right now? Well, I said it yesterday, but if you weren't here yesterday, one of the things I said was, so I like to sit under the teaching of the Word. Um, I'm a pastor, and I, I get to do it all the time. I like to sit under the teaching of the Word, but it's rare that you get to sit under the teaching of the Word at the church you are serving at. Mm. But I get to do that here, and I love that. Mm. So I hope that other people in our congregation value that as well. Um, but I very much am thankful that I get to sit under other teaching here at this church. Mm. So it's good. Um, I am I'm thankful for... Uh, last night I was encouraged, I don't know how many weeks in a row, but we're, we've been running about 40-something. 44 last night. 44 last mm-hmm. night at Celebrate Recovery. And it's just been encouraging. Uh, I'm thankful for people who are consistent um, to serve. And so I, I know that some of those numbers are over on your side in the link, and I, I don't know what kind of – but you've got workers who are consistent week in and week out. Uh, we have people who are consistent over um, on our side and the adult side to serve in e- even minor capacities. Just they're, they're willing to participate in it. And God has just, it's grown. I mean, I remember when we first started and there was 15 people and 14 of those people were just church members. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking, is this going to, you know, is this going to be anything? And here we are f- four years later. And yeah, um, having 40 on the adult side and whatever right. you have over yeah, on the is, landing. Yeah. yeah, it runs anywhere from 15 to 30, depending yeah. on the mm-hmm. night. Just, which is massive. I mean, yeah. there are, there are churches that don't have that many people on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So that's a it's a blessing. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Uh, I'm very thankful for our church family um, for two reasons. We we had a pretty crummy week last week, my family, and just a lot of uh, people checking in on us, which was really you know helpful and thoughtful and meant a lot to us. And then um, yesterday was my birthday, and I had so many people on their way to tell me happy birthday. Garrett made people sing to me. At Libby the, Libby made me make people sing <laughs> at the. Uh, I'll have to remember that, Miss Libby. <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, you don't. Uh, she's not listening. Yeah, yeah. Okay. don't have she to. Won't hear it. <laughs> yeah, um, to sing to me and go out of their way to just wish me happy birthday. And uh, to those who reminded me how close thirty-eight to forty was, I especially <laughs> uh, appreciate all of you. But I'm very thankful for my church family. It was it was a rough week, but it ended on a really good note being with church family yesterday. So very thankful for that. That's good. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in this week. Hopefully, we'll be back in two more weeks um, after a conference. The three of us are headed to a conference. Ooh, I forgot about that. Uh, Excited. In two weeks on a Sunday through Tuesday, so we'll have to record an episode when we get back. I'd say we'd record one there, but it's not going to happen. Yeah, we tried we'll, that. It didn't work. We tried it T4G. We'll, talk, we'll think about it. Yeah. yeah. And Garrett just won't want to sit still. He's yeah. just going to go get ice cream the entire time. <laughs> That's a story for another time. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. And don't forget, words matter. Words matter. This has been the Words Matter Podcast, a podcast of FBC Seminole. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.